Hey there, once again, this is Randy, one of the pastors here at Vernon First Baptist Church, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to our podcast and invite you to join back in again as we continue with our series on the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and specifically finish up our seven messages to the churches with the message to Laodicea which you may know as being either hot nor cold. But I think there's a deeper message here that Jesus really wants for us. So I'm going to turn over to Patrick and Lisa to read our scripture, and then you get to hear me unpack this passage and what I really feel Jesus is saying to us. So open up your hearts and enter in. And while, uh, while they're heading out and the youth are heading out, I'm going to call Patrick and Lisa to come on up. And they're going to read our scripture for us today. Um, they uh, have been helping out with the youth as well. That's one reason we asked them. But they're, they're happy to get involved in a variety of ways. And uh, they'll read scripture for us today. Thank you so much, you two. Okay, so today's reading is Revelation 3. 14 to 24. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To God. Well, thank you, Patrick and Lisa, for reading our passage today. You know, every uh, every so often we we brew some great coffee here, don't we? Multiply coffee. Hey, you guys have been enjoying the new coffee, as Cheryl calls the holy coffee. Uh, just because it's brewed by or, or roasted by pastors doesn't make it holy. It was already holy. God, God makes, you know, good coffee is holy. But every once in a while, I'll have come in on Monday and I'll say, oh, good, someone made some coffee on Monday morning. And do you think it's from Monday morning? No. And so I fill up my coffee mug and I go to take a sip. And what do I do? <laughs> Usually not everywhere, every time. But... Isn't there anything worse than some lukewarm coffee left over? Uh, do you guys remember when Tim Hortons had their 
specific time limit. Every pot would be only 20 minutes. It's going to be 20 minutes fresh, right? Because they always have it on the burner, which is, I think that's not a great idea either. Thermos is better, but nothing worse than lukewarm coffee. In fact, when we start talking about Laodicea here in this passage, Jesus is so concerned, and Laodicea is our seventh church in these churches here. It's the one way inland of the seven. What is so concerning to him that he'd be so graphic? The word, actually, that we would say spew, it could easily be translated vomit. And maybe your translation says vomit. I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. This is how graphic he has been. This is Jesus who this time introduces himself. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the Amen. Amen just meaning so be it. When we say amen at the end of a, a prayer, we say yes. Uh, and Jean-Luc Picard fans out there, make it so, from Star Trek. Make it so. That's what the amen means. So be it. Let this happen. Yes. And Jesus introduces himself here as the one who's going to make things happen. He is the author and the completer. And so he's concerned about Laodicea, as he's been concerned about many of these churches. Because they have a problem. They have a problem, but thankfully, he has the solution. And he also has a promise. Very linear, this, this message to them. Very easy. And once again, he says, I know your deeds. So he knows what their problem is. He said this to all of them. And he knows what's going on in Laodicea. Now, the great thing about this is that it's a problem that our church struggles with today. Our church in the West in particular, North America. So we might be able to learn a couple of great things. Who's ready? Yeah, exactly. I thought so. Sometimes saying, okay, there's a problem that we're facing, you can end up looking, this emoji might come up, right? Ah. As part of our as part of our retreat this week, we were praying with some other pastors, and one question came up that if there was a question that Jesus was going to, a message Jesus was going to give to your specific church, what might that message be? And that's something that I'd love for us to think about as we continue with this. What is the message Jesus has for us, even if it makes us look a little bit like that? So let's take a look at the problem that they are facing. Two main things that come up, that they are apathetic, lacking passion, and they think that they are self-sufficient. So first of all, their apathy. Laodicea was known for a couple of things, and their lack of sufficient water was one of them, maybe in part because they're so far inland. But there was fresh, cold water 11 miles away in Colossae. And the Romans were great at building aqueducts. This is an ancient Roman aqueduct. And they were great for getting water from one place to another. But you could imagine what the nice, fresh spring water was like after it had traveled in that ancient Asia or Turkey 
Son, how, how would it be after 11 miles traveling in that open-air aqueduct? Not very refreshing. Not very, it would be like watching the BC Lions yesterday. But it's what, they, it's what they had to drink, whether they were happy about it or not. Uh, and I will say, sometimes we preachers can get a little excited about concepts like this. Sometimes the archaeology doesn't always match up. So just because someone says, oh, look at this, look at this. So I remain humble with some of this. But it does seem definitely that there is evidence of pipes. Look at this, even pipes. And that uh, coming in Laodicea. Specifically because someone had the brainwave to pipe water from the city of Heropolis. And it was only seven miles away. And they thought, oh good, we'll be able to get this water piped in. And it was famous for its hot springs. And so someone said, perfect, medicinal, healing water. Who here loves the hot springs? Yeah, I see, yeah, some hands going up. I see those hands. Amen. Halfway hot springs in uh, north of Nacusp. Absolutely love it. Natural hot springs. You can see the piping hot water. I was leaning up against a rock in one of the pool, and I felt my shoulder burning because the, the water was coming out of the rock so hot. And I was like, ooh, got a little bit close there. But seven miles, even in an enclosed pipe, how hot is that water going to be by the time it trickles all the way to them? Not very hot, is it? Again, it's going to be lukewarm. So when Jesus says, I wish you were hot or cold, I think they would have understood what he was getting at. He's using a picture that was clear to them. Now, some think he's saying that I wish you were on fire for me, hot or cold to me. And maybe, maybe that's what he was saying. But I don't see Jesus saying that. I don't think this means, just because he's using hot or cold as extremes, that this is what he's saying. He wants them to be a refreshing cold drink to the people around them. That's the word sucrose or cold. Or hot healing springs of water. Zestos. Eh? Now we know that one. Eh? Zestos. I love it. Instead, they are apathetic. They're comfortable. They're lacking passion. Kleros, lukewarm is the Greek. Kleros. Now remember how clearly Jesus said to his disciples how he's come that they would have life and that they would have it abundantly, abundant life. This is what he's getting at. He doesn't say, I have come that you might live apathetically. No, that's not what he's saying which Webster's define as having or showing little or no feeling or emotion. He wants his followers to live life so passionately that they experience the joy of the creator of the universe. That's what he's getting at. Now, of course, we can be passionate about things that Jesus is not necessarily on board with. Right? Right? The Pharisees, they were passionate. Boy, 
They were, they were hot, but they were misguided. The disciples, they're also passionate. They were so passionate about Jesus overthrowing Rome. Do we get to sit on your left or on your right when we come into the kingdom? Let's get them. And Jesus took time gently guiding them to understand that that's not how his kingdom works. Sometimes not so gently. Like when he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. As Grace talked about last week, right? Putting him in his spot. No, you are, you're off, you're totally off track, Peter. So just because someone is burning with passion for spiritual things, and boy, there's a lot these days, there's a lot to get on fire about, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are on board with Jesus. And I think more than a few of us have been fired up about something before, than to realize, oh, maybe this isn't quite in flow with what Jesus is on about. Jesus wants us to be passionate about what he is passionate about. And Laodicea, here in our passage, is blinded by their view of themselves. For their other problem is they thought they were self-sufficient. They weren't admitting their true need. Now, what's interesting here is Laodicea, as a town, was very well known about their self-sufficiency. Grace told us uh, last week about how this area suffered with many earthquakes, as they still do just in February of this year. A thousand died, nine, over 9,000 were injured, 3,500 buildings collapsed in Turkey and Syria. And CBM, our Canadian Baptist Ministries, responded. Some of you gave to that cause. They partnered with multiple organizations with a relief project for over $35,000 that focused on distribution to 1,350 households in Turkey, approximately 9,000 individuals. They, in 10 days, they gave out 12,000 food packets, 75,000 loaves of bread, 150,000 liters of water. And those people were happy to receive it. When a similar earthquake happened to Laodicea, they refused help from others as a city. They said, no, no, we're going to get this. We are fine on our own. Thank you very much. We have what we needed. Yes, the land there was incredibly fertile. It was a wealthy city, financial headquarters for that whole area, a political center for the district. So you can see that there is a pride factor. No, we've, we can get this on our own. And the pastors they produced, great flocks of sheep, they were known for their black wool in particular. So rich, they thought, that they don't need anyone else. In fact, they were even known as a medical center, especially for eye care with a medicinal salve for the eyes from powder that they had, the minerals in their soil. And people came to them for help. They didn't ask others for help. This is the city of Laodicea. And Jesus sees a comparison with his church. 
You guys think you're self-sufficient. You think you're rich. You think you're wealthy. And so he has a solution for them. And his solution, first off, is to realize our need. And I say our need, for this message is to us as well, not just to them. He says to them, you think you've acquired wealth. The Greek word here actually means in wealth, that word wealth in verse 17, and you do not need a thing. It actually means abundance, to have abundance. And he's saying, you think you have an abundance, but you are missing out. You think you don't need a thing, but you are actually wretched, pitiful, and poor. Your abundance is nothing like I can offer you, Jesus says. You are blind. Your fancy Laodicean salve won't cure this blindness. And your coveted black wool won't cover your nakedness before me, Jesus says. I saw one example of this blindness uh, last week. Someone posted on our, on our Vernon rant and rave uh, how they found all these Christian tracks in their kids' Halloween candy. That someone had thrown all these Christian tracks in there and some of the material that was in there was not age-appropriate for their kids, let alone appropriate to be doing. And definitely not relationship-building in any way. And someone was being passionate, thinking, oh, I've got something to give. i got something to share my faith, but blind in how Jesus would want them to do it. And this family, and then they shared it with others, and so many people were highly offended by pushing this agenda onto children with inappropriate comments about drugs, the afterlife. There was no sense of joyful invitation into the abundant life that Jesus is offering. In our, in our book club, Mark says in Your Church is Too Safe, does one just waltz into country clubs, biker houses, gay bars, crack dens, yoga studios, and start handing out Bible tracts? Well, it's been tried. The results are typically fruitless or worse, self-defeating. Tactics like that most often backfire. Regardless of how clean and humble our motives are, behavior like that smacks to the outsider as pretentious, smug, intrusive, mechanical, and weird. No one wants to be what we are. No one wants to be bitten by whatever bit us, smitten by whatever smote us, captivated by whatever's taken us captive. Jesus says they need the humility to see their total reliance on him. And that he's willing to offer them true abundant life. Life that will be healing hot springs or refreshing cold water to those around them. If we can recognize his true life. Buy gold from him. 
white clothes, Saul, that he offers. Their wealth is nothing to his, even if it means they must reject the gold of their city. Their black woolen fashion is nothing compared to the pure white of his truly nourishing righteousness. And their eyesight, even with their groundbreaking for the time, I wouldn't recommend any Laodicean salve if you have an eye issue for the time. But their eyesight is blindness compared to the vision he can offer them to see the cosmos and those in their city as he sees them. And though this solution means a a fresh change of mind, it will also mean accepting his discipline. As he says, those I love, I rebuke and discipline. And so I wanted to unpack this just briefly with you. Yes, Jesus disciplines. Have you experienced some struggles? Wondered why God hasn't rescued you from certain things? Maybe, I say maybe, because I think this is an occasional thing, it is Jesus allowing the consequences of our actions and attitudes to come crashing in on us. I don't think it's every time when we experience something bad. That isn't always Jesus' discipline. But sometimes in particular, he wants us to learn from something and and allow something so that we can redirect ourselves back to him. Maybe you've treated others poorly, judged them, and then perhaps you feel the wrath of others, or you've lacked compassion for those in need. Don't be surprised if you wonder where the compassion is when you need it. When Hannah and I were, we were house parents at a boys' ranch in Washington State, I, we didn't last very long. They said, it's good if you had military background. I don't. I wanted all these boys to be my friend. You know, that's not always what they needed. They needed a strong house father. But we learned about natural and logical consequences. You know, sometimes we want to save our kids from experiencing any consequences, but sometimes the only way they're going to learn is to go through it. You know, they want to go out in the rain, in the cold rain, without a jacket or without an umbrella. When they're soaking wet and cold, they might think it through and go, ah, and to allow them to do that. Again, I don't believe that you can reduce all of life in God to God handing out karmic discipline. But because Jesus loves you, he will discipline you. And I think he leaves this open-ended. He doesn't describe it anymore here for a reason. Because we don't know when it is. But the point of any discipline is to draw us back into relationship with him. Not to beat us down. Not to punish but to restore and redeem and to rescue us back into his abundant life. And I will say that this is not just some random pastor's discipline. I am really sorry for those, and maybe there's some here that have experienced discipline by a church when it was a power move by authority. And even if, 
Maybe you were being a little out of line. It was done so poorly that it's left trauma and pain. And I think that's happened, and I, I'm sorry that it does in our churches. Often without any of the redemptive, restorative, redeeming work of Jesus and his promises. So let's take a look at these final verses of this passage and see what Jesus' promises are for us. Number one, he says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And I don't think he stops knocking. And do you remember now who he's talking to? Often we'll use this, you know, maybe to our uh, wayward uh, neighbor or our kids. You know, well, hey, he's standing at the door and knocking. Who's this message to? It's to the church, to those who say, we're inside. And he says, I'm standing at the door knocking for you. I want you. Let's not worry about them. I'm talking to you today, to those in the church. Are we too lukewarm to get up off the couch and open the door to Jesus? Are we too distracted with doing things to fulfill our life, to sit down with him? Are we too busy trying to do enough, maybe, that we don't even hear him knocking? Because what does he want to do? He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, don't ever forget the rest of this verse. I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus just wants to eat with you. And I ask you, how do you know what passion is the right passion? How to be hot or cold? I say, we just do what Jesus is offering here. Sit and eat with Jesus. Jesus knows that relationships happen over food, sitting and eating sharing our lives. So I don't know if that looks to you like setting a table and for two and you sit there and, okay, Jesus, we're eating. I don't know, maybe. Obviously, he is speaking metaphorically of that type of relationship that happens over a meal, of being with Jesus. So don't just do what I tell you to do or what another preacher says or Jesus, please help us, what gets you all fired up on YouTube or Facebook. Don't just do something passionate because someone else is passionate. Jesus wants you to be passionate, but with his empowering presence flowing out of a relationship with him. Knowing his focus his desires, his empowering presence through you. So I'd encourage you to go back to the red letters if you're wondering what this is all about. I know Lucia's been going through John, and last night we were just chatting. She says, I'm almost done. And I said, well, boy, what stood out to you? And she said, wow, there's, there was a lot of red letters there. Jesus has a lot to say. And I said, yeah, what stood, out, what, else, what stood out to you there? 
And no joke, this is what she said. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the verse she had highlighted. As she was just going through these red letters. What has Jesus told us to do? Maybe you go back to where he talks about the sheep and the goats. And he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. So maybe maybe eating with Jesus is having a meal with someone down at street church, inviting someone in to your home that you maybe usually wouldn't, clothing someone. And maybe it's a shift of our attitude if we look at the Sermon on the Mount, more of his red letters, where he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the peacemakers. It seems to me that Laodicea forgot some of this. They are getting off track. They didn't realize their need for Jesus to be fired up about what he's fired up about. To be hot about what he's hot about so that we can offer a cold, refreshing drink to those around us. And how did Jesus sum it all up? Say, well, well, that's a lot, Pastor. How do we sum it all up? He's very clear, very easy. First commandment, love the Lord your God with everything that you have. And then love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty simple. We're going to uh, sing a final song. Because I believe Jesus wants to change our life over a meal. He wants us to be in that type of relationship with him, a simple relationship. And so we're going to sing, called, uh, sing a song called The Table, but we've got to get our youth back up here to help lead us in it. And it's, and it's all about that. In some ways, you'll picture, as we sing it, you'll picture how it is about the great feast, where we won't have to worry anymore, we won't hunger anymore, but it's also realizing that our need that we have, that Jesus meets that need in our daily life now, and that our anxieties that we have can, can shrink as we focus in on him. If we turn away from all the riches that we do have and say, I'm not putting my worth in this, I'm going to put my worth in him. And maybe, just maybe, we'll be that cold water that our neighbors are looking for. Let's pray together, and then we'll sing this final song. Jesus, we thank you so much for these messages that you gave the church in ancient Asia. These seven churches, obviously, as an example for all the churches, not just then, but all the churches through all time. And so, Lord, we pray that we would hear your message. That when you say, 
you will give to the victorious one the right to sit on your throne with you, just as you were victorious, that we would recognize your victory came through suffering. And Lord, we have uh, a lot to learn. The disciples had three years of eating with you, and they were still getting it slowly. Moses was 80 by the time you could really use him before he was starting to get it. So Lord, none of us are done. And you're knocking on our door. Lord, help us to know how we are to open that door and sit with you at the table. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I invite you to stay standing for a closing blessing and benediction. And if you so choose to put out your hands as a symbol of your willingness to receive what Jesus has for you. As you go from the service, Know that Jesus is knocking at the door. And he just wants to come in and sit with you. Yes, it might mean some discipline. It might mean some gentle correction as we seek other things for life as opposed to him. But know this, that all he wants is to give you abundant life. Life and life abundantly. His joy, his peace. And for you to to share that with all that you meet. In the name of the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.